0: Welcome to Wild Ideas Worth Living, a show where we talk to experts who've taken a wild idea and made it a reality so you can too. From people who have sailed around the world to those who've started thriving businesses and even broken records, some of the wildest ideas can lead to the most rewarding adventures. I'm your host, Shelby Stanger, and I hope you enjoy this show. This is episode 38 with surf photographer Todd Glazer. This episode was brought to you by Keen. On all my greatest wild adventures, I've had a pair of Keens with me. I wore them when I stand up paddled down a portion of the Peruvian Amazon River, when I went tubing through the glowworm caves in New Zealand, and even trekking through the rainforest of Costa Rica. Keen's most known for their Newport sandal. They're made to go in water and on land, but right now they also have some amazing new styles I'm especially excited about. The Terradora collection, for example, was designed specifically for the unique biomechanics of a woman's foot and stride. It was designed so you could trek all through Yosemite or any great hiking destination, and so you could wear them through the city streets, on the beach, and they're stylish enough to wear out after with leggings or jeans. Best of all, Keen is a family owned company. They're out of Portland, Oregon. They're committed to not only protect the places we play outside, but they also provide numerous grants to causes and difference makers who share their ambitious goals. They support some kick-ass ambassadors as well. You can check them out at keenfootwear.com. That's K-E-E-N footwear.com for more. This episode was also brought to you by HDX Hydration Mix. Like you, I'm an active person. I love sports drinks, but many of them have a lot of weird stuff inside of them. That's why I like HDX Mix. Not only do they use stevia and natural sweeteners, but there's no caffeine, no junk, and it has all the electrolytes, vitamins, amino acids, and minerals to stay hydrated and going all day long, whether you're surfing, running, or even producing podcast episodes. There's only one flavor, it's berry, and it tastes amazing. Besides being low in sugar, it comes in a tiny pouch, not a plastic bottle. So all you have to do is add it to your own water and your own reusable bottle minimizing your impact and not adding to plastic pollution. You can even stuff it in your pocket or in your wetsuit during long surf trips or run. It's super easy to carry. It's lightweight. It's the healthy, eco-friendly hydration drink. You can check them out at hdxmix.com. That's H as in happy, D as in delightful, X is in x-ray mix.com. If you love surfing, chances are you've seen a photo from Todd Glazer. Since 2008, Todd has been a staff photographer for Surfer Magazine and earned more than a dozen covers. He got his start as a bodyboarder and now he's equally talented shooting photos from the land, in the water, and even doing lifestyle portraiture for guys like Kelly Slater to musician Jack Johnson and beyond. His work has appeared outside of surf publications in magazines like the New York Times and even in the Smithsonian's National Portrait Gallery in Washington, D.C., as well as outside. We talk about how he stays in shape while treading water for over eight hours at a time, what makes a good photo, insights he's gotten into taking photos of some of the most famous people in the sport, and his new book that he actually self-published, it's called Proximity, he made it in conjunction with the Taylor Steele surf movie that just released to the public. I hope you enjoy the show. I want to just start with some some things that everybody could use to take away. So you're in the water for hours at a time trying to capture stunning images and you've got light skin, freckles. So what is your key to sun protection and how do you stay hydrated and just keep going all day in the water? How many hours... Are you in the water at a time?
1: Well, well, um, I guess being a pretty fair-skinned human uh, with freckles, like you said, I do my best to try and stay out of the sun as much as possible. But a lot of the places that we go to, um, they're tropical locations. You know, places like in the South Pacific, like Fiji and Tahiti, or even in Hawaii when we go over over there in the winter. And um, sun protection is key. So I'm kind of a a sunblock nerd if, if you will i'm all, i'm typically running like a a face cream on my face and hands and body and then on top of that i'll use like some sort of zinc um, like a oh, ver- like a vertra face stick or a shade sunblock um beneath it just to kind of do multiple layers of it smart and then if if the water's warm i'm always at a minimum with a rash guard um sometimes a spring suit even just a. Kind of fight the chill off, but typically like in California or if we're going to a cold location, um, when I'm swimming, I'll, I'll tend to wear a suit thicker than what you would normally wear when you're surfing to keep, one, to keep the body heat in, and then two, it also helps keep the sun off. But the sun isn't as much of an issue in the in the colder climates.
0: And how many hours are you in the water, like at a time?
1: Well, it, it just depends. Um, a lot of it has to do with the waves and the location, but um, I've done anywhere you know, photo shoots where I've been in the water for 30 minutes and I've done shoots where I've been in the water for like 12 hours from sunup to sundown. And so really just depending on how the waves are, I did a shoot a couple months ago where the waves were phenomenal and there was just the two guys that we were there with, uh, surfing and they stayed in the water for eight hours. And so eight hours. Yeah.
0: So what do you do for like water and snacks?
1: Um it's funny but luckily crazy as it sounds when when one of the guys would break the board they'd have to swim back to the boat and that's we'd all r- swim back to the boat and like get water and eat a power bar um real quick and then get back out and, and keep shooting so it was almost like a relief when someone would break their board cuz you it was a forced break but nutrition's really important anytime you know if for athletes but also to as a photographer to be swimming in the water for so long it's really important not only to be hydrated the day of but to kind of start prepping so You know, one of the things I do on a daily basis, is I'll wake up and I'll look at the swell forecast and um, I'll start to get an idea. And I almost get this like weird gut feeling when I know the waves are going to get good somewhere and there's a break in in the schedule and I know we can go chase swell. So, you know, I'll put in a little extra effort to to drink more water. And lately I've been waking up. I used to wake up straight to a cup of coffee and now I've been waking up in like warm water with lemon and uh, cayenne pepper and a little bit of apple cider vinegar. And I'll use that to kind of like alkalize my body and, and warm my system up to the day versus just going straight into a heavy acidic drink like coffee.
0: Good for you. I love talking to you and your wife about kind of health hacks. So I'm actually going on a trip next week. How do you stay healthy while traveling? You're on the road. How often are you on the road actually? feels like a lot.
1: Um, I, I don't know how many days. I, I think if, you, if you're maybe to count it up, probably somewhere along the lines of like, roughly four to six months of the year will be pretty good. S- slept, not in my bed. But um, you know, home is I you know, home is it's it's San Diego, it's it's in Solana Beach where we are right now, but a lot of times like home is kinda like it's who you're with. And so, um, you know, my wife and I live together and fortunately she gets to travel with me a bit and a lot of my friends who I travel with, who I make pictures with, are are like a second family. So it feels like home when you're on the road a lot of the time as well. So Uh, you know, home is, it's a physical place, but it's also kind of a a state of mind. And if you can make yourself feel comfortable wherever you are, it makes the experience a lot more enjoyable.
0: Do you do anything physical to make yourself feel more at home when you go to these places?
1: Yeah. And so uh, it's funny. um, My wife and I were talking about this the other day. I'm probably going to reference her a lot because you know her and everyone that I travel with or, you know, shoot with, they all know her pretty well. She's pretty awesome. She is awesome. And uh, she's you know, a big part of what we do is very unordinary. I'll get a phone call at 10 in the morning saying that there's going to be a great swell halfway around the world and the flight's at 10 o'clock at night, drop everything, pack your bags and go. And so in order to be able to do that, and I've been doing that for a long time, but in order to be able to do that and, you know, be healthy and be fit, one, you kind of always have to maintain some sort of level of, of health. But the other thing is finding little times while you're on the road to um, to kind of get into a routine. So one of the things that I like to do when I'm on the road is um, I'm always up before the sun's up on, on a trip. No, You know, even if the guys aren't going to surf first thing in the morning, I like to wake up, I stretch, I make water or, you know, I'll drink water, warm water with lemon and just kind of make sure all my gear is in check. And just running through that little checklist gives me the confidence that like, I know every, all my gear is taken care of and, and my body is taken care of. And then whatever the day, whatever happens with the day, as the sun comes up, you, you're, at least you have that part ready. And there was a book, a friend of mine suggested, I can't remember the name, but um, it was written by, by these Navy SEAL guys. And they, and they said, one of the first things you can do is, is make your bed. Cause if you wake up and you make your bed in the morning, then you know, you've woken up and you've accomplished something. And just that kind of internal sense of accomplishment gets you ready for whatever the ne- next task is now. Those guys in the book, their tasks are much harder than, than what we do. We just go surfing, go play in the ocean. But I think just the the mental side of um, having a checklist and being able to kind of run through that checklist and make it so when you know a spontaneous situation occurs, you're you're not thinking about other distractions. It's trying to minimize distractions so you can focus on whatever's happening.
0: And you're sometimes taking photos where some of, some of the listeners aren't surfers they're they're kind of more outdoor advocates and athletes and enthusiasts, but you're sometimes in, in places where surfers are putting themselves in pretty high risk situations to catch these waves. Do you ever not have your camera ready or your, has, has something ever malfunctioned? That would be my greatest fear.
1: It, it has, um, you know, and I really I try to do my best to have those instances happen as little as possible. Um, some of the guys I travel with, they always give me a hard time because they say I have so much gear and I always joke with them. I go, you know, I bring the same amount of gear for a two day shoot as I do for a two month long shoot, because you never know where wherever you are. You know, it could be the best day of the year. And if your gear is not ready, you, you know, you might not be able to document that session. But more importantly, you might not be invited back to do it again. And so, you know, I know the surfers that I travel with, they put in a lot of energy to make sure their body's healthy, their mind's healthy, their boards are in good shape. And and I kind of take that same energy and apply that to my camera gear and, and just making sure that I'm in good shape so I can swim. And my cameras are, you know, they're clean and the housings are clean. But there's certainly been situations like I remember I was in, um, Barbados and we went down there about five years ago I went down with um, Kelly Slater and Keith Malloy and we chased a really big swell and it was right around Christmas time I believe and we flew all night or we got in late at night woke up early in the morning went out to the wave called soup bowls and uh, the waves were really big and we were standing on the edge of the rocks and I had my camera in a water housing and Kelly was walking out in the rocks in front of me and there was a big wave breaking we had to time the sets and I go to pull up the camera to shoot a photo of him walking on the rocks with the wave breaking and and the water housing didn't fire. And so I was just thinking, I was like, okay, there's nobody out. Kelly's about to go surf by himself and my camera's not working. But me being like the overpacker I am, I ran back to the house we were staying at and I had to backup housing. So I was able to undo my housing, switch switch housings, go back out, and I maybe missed one wave, but I was able to capture the whole session from the water. Wow. and yeah. wasn't able to to miss that that session
0: that must be why kelly slater rob machado the Malloys hire you time and time again i mean, what is it you work with some star-studded athletes and sorry to use that word because they're just your buddies but but other people like it would be their dream to shoot kelly slater rob machado you know what is it about like how do they keep hiring you? What is something that you have? And I know you're really humble. So I'm asking you to like, tell me a little bit about these things that you have, they've said you've had, why they keep hiring you and asking you to come on these shoots.
1: I don't know if I know the answer to that. I, I know that, um, I think, you know, I, I have so much respect for what they do and what they've achieved professionally, but, but not only professionally, but, but personally, they're, they're great guys and they're really fun to be around. And, we share a lot of same values and a lot of just the same energy. We love to travel. We love to chase good waves and we love to experience, you know, new foods and new places and that kind of thing. But as far as like work goes, I think, you know, they know that what I do, I, I take it serious. And I know, like I said earlier, I know how much energy they've put into their surfing and I just try and do my best to, to understand their surfing and, to give like a a surfer's perspective of, or an intimate look into what it's like to go on a trip with them or what it's like to to ride away with them. And I'm not the best surfer. I love surfing when I'm home. I surf every day, but you know, if I'm able to swim in a, in a position that not a lot of other people would be able to swim in with a camera and, and a guy like Kelly or Rob gets a, a big tube in front of me and I'm able to share that tube with them. It's almost like I'm, I'm surfing vicariously through my camera and, and, um, you know that makes my camera probably the best surfer in the world. If you combined all the people <laughs> that that I get to shoot with,
0: that's great. Your camera is probably the most lucky camera in the world. You know, you must be a really good swimmer. Did you swim as a kid growing up?
1: I didn't. I was actually a terrible swimmer, and it's a really funny wow. story um, about swimming. Is I think when I was younger, I took swim lessons with everyone else. I never did swim team. I never did junior lifeguards, which I wish I would have. Me too. And
0: they didn't have it as much when we were kids as they do now.
1: Well, I, I remember my sister did it and a lot of my friends huh. did it, but I was like, why do you want to go run on the beach and run around cones? <laughs> and I'm like, cause they all did it at Cherry Hill, which is where we're at right now in yep. Solana beach. And I would be down at seaside and I'm like, oh, you guys are running around cones. I'm surfing all day. You know, they probably ended up becoming better watermen at that stage of their lives. But since then I've, I've put in a lot more energy in training. You know, we are probably 12 or 13 at the time. But a few years ago, um, I was at home during the summer and I, I was thinking about different ways that I could that I could improve my health and improve my fitness. And uh, a good friend of mine, Dylan Jones, I don't know if you know Dylan, was telling me he, he was doing these master swim courses. And so I went to the um, Solana Beach Boys and Girls Club. And then eventually I worked my way up and, and learned proper technique and learned how to breathe properly. And, you know, swimming in a pool is totally different than swimming in the ocean. That's one thing that you know myself and a lot of the other water photographers do is you know we might not be the fastest pool swimmers but we're pretty good survival swimmers and we know how to kind of stay calm in a, in a stressful situation
0: and you use fins right yes so this is so funny because i i just signed up for master swimming at solana beach and i'm in late nine it's so sad <laughs> With like a grandma, mm-hmm.
1: I thought it was and she's a really, tapping your foot, like, "Hey, hurry
0: up!" <laughs> crushing me. So, when you do training, what what sort of training do you do in that master swimming pool? If you uh, do it on your own, and you don't go to class.
1: Yeah, well, I was going to class for a long time, and then I just I got caught in that weird position where I was like, not as fast as the really fast triathletes, but faster than than some of the others, and so I ended up partnering uh, with a friend of mine. We'll go in between the master's class, and we'll kind of do our own workout. We'll do somewhere between like fifteen hundred to two thousand meters a, a day, and we'll do different variations of like sprints and hypoxic training. We'll, but
0: what's the hypoxic training?
1: Hypoxic training, like, well, you'll you'll either like breathe up and do like a twenty-five meter underwater, fifty meter underwater, or we'll do somewhere. We'll do a set where you'll like get out of the pool, and do like ten push-ups, hold your breath, go twenty-five meters underwater sprint 25 back and then do like a 50 backstroke just to cool down. And then we'll do like five second rest and we'll do, do those over and over again. We'll do like 10 of those in a, in a set in a set. I guess. Oh, fun.
0: Don't try this at home. Uh, like Wim Hof style. Cause you could get hurt, but yeah. consult your doctor.
1: <laughs> yeah. I tried the Wim Hof thing once. Have you tried it?
0: Oh yeah. I've interviewed like his whole team and everything. Have you really? Yeah, I did it. It was full on.
1: I heard his podcast on Joe Rogan. It's great. And, and I was listening to it on on an airplane. So I tried doing, the first time I tried doing the Wim Hof, I was on an airplane and I like got so lightheaded I thought I was going to pass out. And I was thinking, you know, this probably isn't the best place <laughs> to like be trying to Wim Hof like on a flight 35,000 feet up. You
0: know, one of the things, we should just talk about how you became a photographer because it is kind of a wild idea to become a photographer that shoots surf photos around the world and travels six months a year and now as part of this awesome movie and book proximity, which we'll talk about later, but how did you first get the idea to be a photographer and then how did you do
1: it? Well, I grew up in San Diego. I grew up in Solana beach I went to, went to middle school just down the road and high awesome. school down the street. And, um, I grew up actually, I was, I was a bodyboarder and I grew up bodyboarding and competed. And I, through that, I started traveling, uh, competing and, and working with different film crews and different photographers um, going on these, on these trips. And when I was 15, I was over in Hawaii staying with a couple friends and we're all staying in a house together. And there's this, this wave called Keiki, which is a shore break. And, um, at the time, no one really shot photos there. You know, the bodyboarders would go and ride it. And, you know, it's just kind of a big dumpy shore break. And my friends and I would go out there and we would take turns with the camera shooting photos of each other. And none of us really knew what we were doing. We had one camera between like four of us and one type of film we only knew how to shoot photos when it was sunny so we didn't really know anything but we ended up just taking turns and at the end of that season I came home I was like oh this is really fun and so um, my dad bought me a camera and a friend of mine ended up selling his fisheye lens and his water housing and at this point I knew nothing about photography but I knew I felt somewhat comfortable in the water and I knew where good waves were uh, that was one thing that I really like to do is just try and find good waves and so for like the next five years I had one camera with one lens and I only knew how to use one type of film because I only had these settings that were written on like a cardboard box like and that's all I knew how to do and I did that for five years and we would just go on trips and we'd take turns shooting photos of each other and when we finished high school um, I took two years off of school and I traveled and I was kind of competing and I was still filming with these videos and shooting photos and I started getting just as much enjoyment out of shooting photos of my friends as, as I enjoyed. I guess it, at the time is, I I loved doing it, but it was still kind of work. I had sponsors and that kind of thing. And so, after the two years, I started looking into schools because I really enjoyed, um, I really enjoyed learning, and I really enjoyed like a formal education. And a few of my friends were going to a school in Santa Barbara called the Brooks Institute of Photography. So we went up there and toured the school. Uh, my dad and I it's like, wow, this place is really cool. Like you're just oversaturated with creatives and with photography and with the technical bits behind photography. And so, um, ended up going to the, uh, applying to the school and I got in, which I think they let everyone in, you know, they used to use stuff show portfolio, but, um, not, not at that time. And one of the things I really enjoyed about it was it was a three-year program. It was year round. So there weren't long breaks. Like I like, I feel like I do really well. And like, very concentrated situations. And so went to school and when I was going through school, I studied every type of photography, you, almost every type of photography you could imagine, except for sports and except they actually had an underwater course I, and I didn't take those two courses. And the whole time I was just thinking, you know, there's so much to photography. There's There's portrait, there's industrial, there's automotive, there's Landscape, which I didn't really do the landscape thing too much because I tried doing like the night starry thing, but I'd always fall asleep and just like <laughs> I'd wake up, my battery would be dead and the film would be overexposed. It just never worked for me. Kind of a morning guy. But whenever I was done with my school assignments, my friends and I would go surfing and I would just take photos of my friends surfing. And so as soon as I finished school, uh, even when I was at school, like when we did have like a week break, I, I'd go chase a swell with friends or I'd go, we'd go down to Baja for a couple days or do whatever we could. And I would just shoot photos. And as soon as I finished school, ended up graduating with a, a degree in commercial advertising. So I got a bachelor's, which was I was really excited about because a lot of my friends whom I finished high school with were just finishing college after five years. And I was able to take two years off and still finish in three years, which was fun and nice. Um finished school and and went down to Mexico for like 10 weeks with a couple of friends and we surfed and I shot photos and I was like, Yeah, this is like the summers we never had, and this is our, you know, couple three years of summer breaks all put together and when I get home, I have to like, you know, try and find a real job or whatever. And a lot of those photos ended up getting published um, in different surf magazines. And we ended up shooting a couple um, advertising photos during that time, just as a freelance photographer. And so I came home and I remember my old college roommate had a job. He was the director of photography at a, at a company. He's like, Hey, when you get home from Mexico, I have a job waiting for you. Come on in. And I was like, cool. And so I went in and it was in, it was in a, this office in Irvine, and he's like, you know, I'm the director of photography. You can be my assistant. And, you know, we're shooting catalogs. I'm like, oh, catalogs are cool. First day, we go in and he had this one desk and I had a tiny corner of the desk. And we go into the studio and we shot maybe like 150 purses. Purses. B- purses. Like and women's like, purses. Women's purses and handbags. Oh, no and like just random stuff just like things things I did not care about at all and we shot all those till noon and we had a one-hour break for lunch and we came back and we had to sit there with the tool and like cut them all out so they could be put on a white backdrop and we I remember finishing the day I was like this isn't photography this isn't for me and he was like you come back tomorrow and I was like no I'm I'm not this is this is it so I just kept shooting my friend surfing and Applying all the the knowledge I learned while at school to portraiture and to different styles of photography, but I was thinking about that while we were, you know, on these camping trips or while we were on these surf trips and and getting to see these new places, and um, that was really the the start of it. A, a couple months later, I was uh, awarded a, a photography contest that I'd entered called the Fall of the Light Foundation, and then just after that, I was invited by uh, by Surfer Magazine to come in and have a meeting. Um, to potentially become a staff photographer. I remember meeting with a couple different magazines at the time. And um, one of the big questions they asked was like, name the top five guys that, that you'd want to shoot with. And I named them and one of the magazines was like, no, those guys, you know, we don't run photos of those guys. We we want the new young air guys. And I was like, well, that's kind of boring. Cause a big thing for me, like with making pictures is, I think the wave should be the star a lot of the time. And if you have great waves comes great surfing, Whereas a lot of guys like to focus on real high performance action, but it's not very aesthetically pleasing. You know, it caught me thinking, I'm like, you know, my ultimate goal as a photographer is to, or as a storyteller is to bring, is to not only do my best job to like share what it's like to be surfing, but also kind of romanticize it a bit as well. And, you know, the ultimate goal is to, to bring an image to someone who might not even know anything about surfing or anything about surf photography. But they're, you know, they have a keen sense of, of uh, aesthetic and go, oh, that's there's something nice about that. And I think there's there's a handful of of surf photographers, handful of photographers in general that, that do that well that I'm kind of always aspiring to, to to be like.
0: So I want to hear who those photographers are, but I also am curious, who initiated those meetings from Surfer Magazine and and the other magazines? Like, did did you go out and call them, or did they just call you?
1: Well, with Surfer Magazine, actually the the guy who introduced me to Surfer Magazine first was uh, was Rick Irons. And at the time, cool. he was he was the publisher. And I'd always see him surfing um, down at the beach all the time. And I was telling him I was getting into photography. And, he, you know, there's kind of a, a funny, I don't know if it's a saying or whatever, but a lot of the, you know, the the, the better water photographers in the, in the course of, of surf photography have all come from a bodyboard background. And so when I told him I was getting into photography, he's like, well, just let me know, show me your stuff because, you know, as history has shown, body waters tend to make decent water photographers, but a lot of the times, you know, they can be kind of, they can kind of be referenced as like a, like a one trick pony. Like a lot, there's a lot of guys that are great in the water that might not be able to shoot a portrait or might not be able to to shoot a lineup or, you know, might not be that nice to hang around. And so I just try to be as diversified as I can when capturing images. But I think in my mind, like I was always pretty shy, but I knew like, Oh, maybe if I swim, you know, when the waves are really big and get a good water shot of these guys, they'll let me shoot a portrait. And so that was always my mindset. And so, um, yeah, that was kind of how I got into just, just shooting more stuff.
0: It's so interesting. I meet a lot of photographers who say they were shy, but they're great photographers. So how have you kind of overcome the shyness? Cause you're not super shy.
1: Um, I think the camera helps a lot. It's camera is kind of like, your little like golden ticket into a lot of worlds that you might not otherwise, um, be able to be a part of. And, um, yeah, I I don't know. I I guess I'm pretty quiet, but if there's something of interest that I like to talk about, I I can talk for a while. I love to talk about photography. I love to talk about surfing and traveling.
0: Well, I'm glad we're talking about this. So (laughs) what's, I'm always interested in, in the psychology of capturing a great photo. You know, when it's a person, how do you get your subjects to relax, to smile, you know, if it's portraiture and just to be themselves
1: like in a portrait mm-hmm. um hmm. well you know I'm not very good at that I I try uh, you know ultimately like w- what I've learned and and when I was starting out you know one of the photographers whom I really looked up to was Steve Sherman and I always really admire I still really admire his work but for You know, the first half of his career, he shot a a lot with a Hasselblad, with a medium format camera. And I'd always look at his portraits and go, oh, they're they're beautiful. How does he do it? Even though they're black and white and dark and gritty. And when I was in school, I got a Hasselblad and I started shooting portraits with a Hasselblad. And one thing it did is it forced me to slow down because you only get 12 images per roll. So each image really counts. But I remember I'd go to shoot a portrait with a subject. And I'd bring like Hasselblad, I'd bring 35 millimeter camera, I'd bring digital camera, I'd bring all these different cameras thinking that the, the camera was the best tool to get a great image. And I'd end up floundering and I'd get a bunch of average to below average photos with all these different formats of camera. And and ultimately what it, what it, a great portrait comes down to is a connection. And in, in my opinion, there's kind of two different types of portraits. There's the portrait where you're, you've made this great connection with the subject and you're really, you know, capturing what they're about. And that's something that is more social than it is technical. And I was always approaching portraits from a very technical standpoint, not from a social standpoint. And then there's the other side of portraiture, which is, well, I guess there's other kinds. There's like the fairy tale kind where you build these grandiose sets and you have you have the subject come in almost like an actor and they're just a very small role in this bigger picture. But the other part is when you're able to dive into the psyche of the subject that you're shooting and bring something out that they might not even know that they had. And if you're able to capture that, that's something that, that's, a, that's a beautiful portrait that not everyone has. So like when I used to start shooting portraits, like I said, I'd bring all these cameras and kind of get overwhelmed. And, and then it started, it, I realized that I was hiding behind the equipment, not I was scared of the connection. and then once you start kind of embracing the connection and hearing learning about the subject, having a general interest in whoever it is that you're photographing, whether you've known them for ten years, whether you've known them for 10 minutes, if you're able to make a connection that way, you can really um, share their story through that portrait. And then you know choosing the lighting and choosing where you place them and the angle that you shoot kind of all comes secondary after doing it so much.
0: I've seen so many great photos of like Kelly and you know Jack Johnson or somebody on a surf trip and it seems like the person who took that photo was like in their face on their while they were just flying in a plane and sitting in a seat casually having having a conversation how do you kind of get in there and sort of make
1: yourself invisible but take these pictures um well that's are you talking about the trip we did a couple of months ago? No, I just
0: saw this great photo recently. I don't know where it was, but it was your photo, and I'm like, "Oh my god, how did he get that?" Like, yeah,
1: oh yeah, it was the one we did the story for Rolling Stone.
0: Okay, that was it. Yeah,
1: and um, you know, in that situation, we were genuinely having a good time, and you're just taking photos, it- and we were just—I was just there, taking, capturing a moment, and it was really—it was just fun, and you know, as soon as you know, there's times where I definitely have to remind myself like, okay, I'm, I'm the photographer. I, I need to tell the story here, but, and to go back to what, to what we were just talking about b- before I answered that question, you know, there's, and this is something I've learned a lot from photographers wh- whom I really look up to, but if you're really energetic, be energetic. If you're, if you're really quiet, be quiet, but kind of like whatever you are, kind of like be yourself and people will appreciate you for you. And I used to, coming to portraits thinking I need to have all this energy and I'm going to capture this emotion out of somebody, but I didn't know how to be super high en- high energy. And so I just started doing, you know, being the best me that I could be. And then they, my subjects started to feel a lot more relaxed, but in that setting, Kelly invited us on a trip and I didn't even know Jack was going. I was checking in on my flight and I looked to the right and I saw Jack and uh, we're talk- uh, Jack Johnson. And uh, we've spent a bit of time together in the past. And I was like, Hey man, I'm like, what are you doing here? He's like, same thing you are. I was like, Oh, Kelly hadn't told either one of us that we were going, which was pretty cool. And so we were on a plane. It was Jack's first time going to this place. I'd actually been, been to where we went with Kelly once before. And, um, as we were flying in, the two of them immediately were just looking out the window, trying to find out where the, uh, what the waves were doing and look at all the reef passes. And, At that point, it was literally as simple as just turning my back, unplugging my seatbelt, turning around and shooting a photo of two friends looking out the window.
0: That's awesome. It's a great photo. It was in Rolling Stone. I remember reading that article really recently. Um, You know, your photos have gone from exactly Surfer Magazine to Rolling Stone, outside New York Times, Men's Health, even the Smithsonian. How, How have you kind of taken your photos from Surfer to these other places?
1: I think, I, I mean, I guess I have to, I do have to owe a lot of the credit to, to the images that we've made together, um, to the, to the subjects that I'm shooting with because they're, they put a lot of trust in to me with my camera and it's, you know, I think it's a very collaborative process, the, the act of, of picture making. A lot of surf photographers will, um, they'll say, all right, surfers, you go surf and, I'm going to do my thing and, you know, we'll see at the end of the day. Whereas I really like to, to communicate with, with the guys and go, okay, you know, how, what are the waves going to be like? What board's you going to ride? You know, wouldn't it be cool if we did this or I've got this lens. What if we tried to do that? And, and they go, Oh, that's great. What if we did this together? And like one of the images that comes to mind with that is this photo of, uh, Kelly Slater that was, that was on the cover of Surfer magazine. And, um, he'd been telling me about this location before and the water's super clear. And he was saying, Hey, you know, there's this place, we got to go there. We just have to shoot underwater photos. It's going to be amazing. We have to shoot underwater photos. And, um, you know, traditionally most underwater images have all been shot with, with fisheye lenses. And we were having this conversation about three years ago, but about five years ago, it did a shoot. Uh, it was for an automotive magazine. I was shooting, uh, it was a portrait and an action image of, of this guy named Magnus Walker. He's extremely interesting. If you haven't checked him out, he's like one of the biggest Porsche 911 collectors and restorers, but he didn't sell them. So he's just mm-hmm. super into 911s. It's an amazing story. And I went up to LA and, and photographed him. And I was trying to look for lenses that would show the whole car while we were driving on the 6th Street Bridge, but wouldn't distort the car. And so I found this this really wide angle lens um, It's a 14 millimeter, but it's also, it's called a rectilinear lens, which is almost as wide as a fisheye, but it's made for architecture. So it keeps all the lines straight rather than bulbous. And so when we were doing these tracking shots, I was shooting with this really wide lens, I go, uh, I remember calling Kelly after the shoot and going, Hey, like I found this lens. Whenever we go shoot underwater, like this is the one we got to do. It's totally different. And like to the best of my knowledge in the surf world, it hadn't really been used. You know, it took us three years to go to this location. And when we did, the first day, we're like, okay, today's our underwater day. We have to shoot with this. And then we ended up getting an image that um, that we'd talked about for quite a few years. And and actually, that lens, we used it for the the proximity project. We ended up using that on the, the cover of the, of the book that we did or the, that we made. And kind of going back to the collaborative process, like these guys, the servers are super creative, Rob Machado is an amazing photographer. Joel Tudor is an amazing photographer. John Florence has his own darkroom and owns his own production company. Like These guys are incredible talents behind a camera. And so I think it behooves us to collaborate with them, not only on a surfing side, but on a creative side as well, because these guys are creative. It it takes a certain creativity to do what they do in the water. It's it's a dance. And dancers are creative, and and they're artists in in their own right. So why wouldn't we talk with them and go, hey, what do you guys think about this? And they go, I love that, but what if we tried this too? And so not only do they feel connected to the act of making imagery, but they're also kind of investing their time into going, hey, let's make something really special together. And um, it makes it fun. It makes it collaborative.
0: So many people here, like I said, they want to be photographers. What advice do you have I'm sure you get this a lot. What advice do you give to kids who want to, or adults who want to become photographers, and sort of do what you do?
1: Um, uh, th- I guess you know the best advice I could give for someone that wants to be a photographer is to enjoy photography, immerse yourself in photography. There's a lot more to photography than just whatever it is that that you feel like shooting. I find inspiration in portrait photographers, in rock and roll photographers, in skate photographers, um, in films. I watched a ton of films and I'll try and pause it where I think would make for a good image. And I'll try and study that and go, where was the light? How was the light? How could you make it better? Would it look good with this lens? Would it look good? You know, you're kind of like obsessive compulsive about it in that sense. Um, I mean, for the younger guys, even for like older guys, you know, there's always the conversation of Instagram and social media and and pushing your work out in that sense. And I think they're great tools to an extent, but I I do maybe come from a little bit of an older school train of thought of, I really enjoy shooting images and building a relationship either with a photo editor or with one company and having it be more of a collaborative process. You know, it's easy to make an image and put it on social media and get a bunch of likes and get a bunch of comments and it feels good for a short amount of time however I think I do like the I guess the the validity or the verification of sharing an image with a photo editor who has seen the best imagery in that field and they saying hey this is great or I think you could have done better or you know I like what you did here but why don't you try this next time and then come back and and Will potentially think about using that image, and you know a lot of the, a lot of the surfers, a lot of the athletes that I, that I photograph, you know they say they remember that they remember their wins, but they remember their losses even more. And and I think photography can be the same way. It, um, it's, it's very humbling to bring images into an editor and have them tear them apart. But I think it's really good for us as as humans and as photographers to go through that experience. And I think social media has taken a lot of that away. Because it's given platforms for people to share everything. And a lot of times people are scared to to say w- what they really feel about an image because then it's just like blasphemy. They screenshot it and go, oh, this guy's an asshole, whatever it is. Um, but at the same time, it's a great way to connect with with different people, a great way to get your work seen. And you know, I'm not very active on, on social media, but there are photographers who have hundreds of thousands of or followers millions. or millions. You know and they shoot them all with a phone and so again that goes back to not necessarily the tools that you use but it's it's what you what you use with the camera to tell the story it's it all comes down to the story at the end of the day it's it's telling a great story it's can you can you tell one great story in one image in you know a thousandth of a second can you tell a great story and that's that's the beauty of it and if you get a rush out of that then you'll become a great photographer in time it just takes time
0: do you ever get scared? And what's your self-talk when you're in a situation where there's reason to be scared?
1: Like scared shooting photos in the water?
0: Or just in life, or you have to do something out of your comfort zone, like negotiate a big deal. I don't know.
1: Yeah. I get scared all the time. Um, I mean, peer pressure is terrible, (laughs) especially if you're known, like, I guess I'm kind of known as being a water guy. I, In my mind, I'm like a portrait guy, but everyone seems to think of me as a water guy. So there's plenty of times where the waves will be really big and guys are like, yeah, you're fine. Jump out and shoot in the water. And a lot of times I, w- I want to and I'm really excited for it. And other times you're like, you know, I kind of wish there was a ski to shoot off of in certain certain times. But I, I think it's all character building in it and it helps shape who you are and it helps shape the images that you make. And I think it's like your experiences that shape you that in turn translates an energy to whomever the subjects are. And sometimes you guys connect and and sometimes you don't, but yeah, I get scared. Um, Emails freak me out. I know that's crazy, but I get super overwhelmed by emails and I don't even get that many. Um, I'm so sorry I emailed you today. (laughs) No, no. I was stoked on that. I always joke around. I'm like, I'll either write back in like a day or like a month. Well, I got
0: an immediate response. Do you want to do a podcast? And you're like, today, let's do it. That's awesome.
1: (laughs) Uh, but yeah, you know, bidding for, I don't really like, you know, going through all the business side, of the bidding for jobs and negotiating and dealing with rights and all that kind of stuff. It's its not very fun, the business side.
0: And you don't have an agent, which is really interesting.
1: Yeah. Um, I have a, I have a stock agent who helps with images that have already been made. Cool. But um, all the commercial work I, I handle on my own.
0: But you also have Jenna.
1: But I do have Jenna. And Jenna's my wife and she's amazing at keeping me focused and she really enjoys it. And she's, um, very organized in certain things, laundry in that and mail is a mess. But as far as like staying, uh, you know, coming up with a concept and like, and executing and finishing it, she's great. I've even actually had her on shoots before. We're like, we've done shoots. We did a swimsuit shoot last year and she has a really like bubbly energy. And so we were able to like put her in the budget as an assistant. And like, she was just hanging out and having the girls laughing the whole time. That's and, good. And we got these great images.
0: That's awesome.
1: Yeah. It's, it's working. It's trying, trying to put together a great team. I had a couple interns this year, but they're all just surf bums like me.
0: They sound like cool interns. What advice would you give to that 15 year old self? The one who was the boogie board star, the bodyboarding star?
1: Um, What advice would I give to myself back then?
0: It um, sounds like you're kind of on the right track, even at
1: 15. No, I don't know. I, I guess, I mean, the. Uh, I don't know. It, it, it's hard. It's hard to say. I probably wouldn't, wouldn't have been as shy. I let me think I probably should have taken water polo. That would have been pretty cool to do, to play in high school, but I was pretty small. Like you have to understand, like when I graduated high school, I was like five feet tall and a hundred pounds. I don't know. When I was 15, like, let's see, I had my driver's license. I was driving my dad's, um, old 79 Mazda RX seven, which is rad car. I mean, I had to sit on a pillow so I could reach the pedals and see over the steering wheel. (laughs) And then I'd try and ask girls out on a date and they'd ask about the pillow and I said I had back problems. And so I don't know. I was pretty shy back then. It didn't really work out. So I just, I just like being in the water. That's all.
0: Oh, that's so funny. um, Okay. So Proximity, this book is beautiful. There's a, there's a coffee table book Todd produced called Proximity, which is about the movie.
1: Yeah. I'm really excited about the book. And I'm, as a photographer, you know, all my favorite photographers have all made books. And I think it's kind of one of those stepping stones that growing up and even into now, you know, I've really, I really admire print photography. I have a collection of, of art books at my house. I really admire, I hold them in high emotional value. And so when the opportunity came where uh Taylor and I came up with the idea for proximity and he, Taylor was like, you know, I, I want to make the best film I've ever made. And I told him like, I want to make the best photos I've ever made. Why don't you make the best film you've ever made? I'll make the best images I can and we'll make a book together. Cuz before that a lot of people were always asking, "Hey, you should do a book. Why don't you do a book?" Cuz I've been pretty busy shooting full time for the last 10 or 12 years. And a lot of people are like, yeah, you should do a book. And I kept thinking to myself, you know, I don't want to do, if I did a book now, it'd feel like a retrospective. I'm still in the middle of my career. It's it's weird to be making a book, but still be constantly producing new work. So I always thought my first book should be a timepiece in the sense that it should have a beginning, middle and end. And that's what I really like about Proximity is that we had a concept, and we had a group of surfers that believed in it, and we had Taylor directing the film, going, here's our idea, we're going to shoot this, we're going to put it all together, and this will be the final product of this project. At the time, it seemed like it was going to be a, you know, relatively easy and a great process. I had no idea the amount of work that was going to go into it. When it came time for the book, I didn't have any financial help from the production company, and so... I basically had to look at options of either going with a publisher whom I didn't know anything about or who to even reach out to versus like contact at whatever um, or find a way to self publish. And so the the creative agency that the film was working with called Studio Paradise out of New York, I called them and was like, Hey guys, I really want to do this book. You know, I don't know near the budget that, that the film has, but you know, if this is something you believe in, like I'd love to work with you guys and Luke Flynn, who was a, who designed the whole book was like, yeah, man, you know, they just finished a big catalog and they go, we don't have a ton of time, but we'll make it work. We believe in the project. And so we worked together hand in hand for about six months designing it, laying it out. And I didn't realize everything that goes into publishing a book, you know, when you make a book, you start with a blank canvas and every single thing that goes in has to be thought about and considered. And there's multiple options for every little thing that you do from the size of the book to the imprint to the color and one of the things that we wanted to do is we didn't want to make it feel like a magazine like surfer magazine helped me with my travel and they did they do such a good job designing their magazine but a book has to have a different flow it's like a uh, an extended version you know a surf magazine uh, like surfer for example they did our story in a cover and 16 pages the book ended up coming out coming in at right around 296 300 pages so you get, a, it's more of like long form writing. You get a lot more time to tell a story, both using negative space, but also with the images that you choose to use and how large um, you choose to use them. But as far as publishing a book, like, you know, I had to copyright it, get these ISBN numbers, like all these thing, I, all these things I knew nothing about. Um, meanwhile, I'm still traveling essentially the world shooting commercial clients to pay for this thing because it's not cheap.
0: So you self-funded it too? Self-funded, yeah. Wow.
1: And we were getting all these color samples back from China, from overseas, where they were doing the printing. We wanted to print in the U.S., but it was just so expensive. it's totally unrealistic to do it. And then they come into this, you know, the part of how many do you want to make? And they have a minimum print run of a 1,000. And all of a sudden you start going, okay, a 1,000 is this much, but 1,500 is only this much more, but 2,000 is like half of this, but then you start thinking how much space 2,000 books takes up and where, where are you going to place them. So I remember about six months ago I was over at my mom's house and we were having lunch. And and the whole time in my head, and I, I was talking to Taylor about this all the time, and Taylor kept reassuring, he's like, if we do our best work, good things will happen. And it'll just happen because we care about it and because people are going to care that we care. So I was like, okay, that's my mindset, that's my mindset. And then so we're having lunch with my mom and she's like, you're making this book. Like, let me know if it, you know, I can help you with anything. And I was like, well, actually I'm like, you have a two car garage. You only have one car. Like, would it be cool if I put some books in there? She's like, yeah, no problem. You know, fast forward six months later, I was in, this wasn't that long ago. This was in June. I'd just flown home from Fiji. I was in Fiji shooting the outer known contest. And the next day all the books were meant to arrive. So I called my mom and I'm like, Hey mom, like, I just got a text. The, the books are going to be there at the house sometime between 10 and 2 tomorrow. She's like, no problem. I've got the delivery guy's cookies. I made them. Like, It's going to be great. And so in my mind, I'm like, okay, when they say 10 to 2, like that normally means like three o'clock. So I get out of the shower at like 9.30. My mom lives like 10 minutes down the road and I was going to run over there. My plan was to be there at 9.45 and she calls me. I have like five missed calls at 930 and she's like, there's a massive truck here and they're just unloading books. And I'm like, oh, they're early. So I like run over there, jump in the car and drive over there really fast. And it was like 6,500 pounds of books. (laughs) How many, how much space do they take in your mom's garage? It takes up one full car, seven pallets. Wow. That's pretty good. It's a lot. And so my mom's freaking out and it was you know she kind of thought back to like, oh, if there's anything you need to help, like didn't really think about how much seven pallets was, neither did I. I had no idea. And so there's that kind of oh shit moment where you're like, what do we do with these books? We don't really know what to do. We don't have a website. I'm not a shop. You know, our margins are so little I can't wholesale them to shops because the books will be over a hundred dollars. Like the only way to actually let it break even, let alone make a little bit of a profit is to like sell them off my website, which means we're dealing with shipping 2000 pieces of stuff, which like, we know nothing about at all. And so we've been learning that, but we've been doing like book tours and like slideshow tours that my wife's been helping a lot to try and promote them. And, and it's fun. We go to like, we did one in the first one we did in San Diego, like Kelly called and he wanted to come down he was in town. So he came in and, um, he did the Q and a with me and so that was really fun. And that experience, like connecting with the audience and, and being able to share the story behind the photos, was really fun for us. So, where can we get this book? Yeah, tglazer.com. Is, there's a link in there where, where you can purchase the book. And it's either going to be me or my mom shipping it to you. And, um, or we're like, we're trying to organize a book tour uh, up and down California. And we might actually be doing one in New York in a couple of weeks as well.
0: Awesome. Well, hopefully, when this comes out, you'll be on your book tour. So, we always end with one question you know, what advice you have? to others who can live more wildly and follow their own wild ideas
1: for me my best my most fun moments happen when i turn my phone off and i know it sounds crazy but i'll turn my phone off and like ride my bike to the beach and go body surf and then ride home or like turn my phone off and go train at my friends like jujitsu school and just totally unplug and i feel like we're so connected like just this morning my wife and i went down to la jolla and we're walking around La Jolla Cove and every single person was taking a photo of every seagull, every cup of coffee, every selfie. And I'm like, you guys aren't even experiencing the outdoors. So for me, my biggest, one of my biggest stresses is my cell phone. And so I try and turn it off as much as I can.
0: That was in the movie with John John and Johnny remembers that line. And I think he's going to want to marry you when he hears <laughs> that line, because we also agree that the best moments happen when not, you not only follow your wildest idea, but when you don't have your cell phone on. That's awesome. Todd, thank you so much for sharing everything with me. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you for having me, Shelby. It's been really fun.
0: Thank you for listening to this interview. Definitely check out Todd's website, tglazer.com. You can buy the book. And he's actually doing a live event next week in Cardiff by the Sea on August 31st, 2017. It should be at Patagonia, but check out his website and Instagram you'll find the exact times. Thanks again for listening. Thanks to HDX Hydration for keeping me hydrated during my epic surf trip. Thank you to Soma Surf Resort in Nicaragua for being epic hosts in Nicaragua. If you're going there, check them out. And to Keen Footwear for making shoes that are epic on the boat, on the trail, and pretty much all through the airport. Keen, you rock. Thank you again to my listeners. Thank you for subscribing and writing reviews on iTunes. Wherever you are, don't forget some of the best adventures happen when you follow your wildest ideas. We'll see you next week. We have an awesome guest coming up.